This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Hamilton, straight off the airplane out of northern British Columbia with a couple of big bull moose down, I think. Um, How was the trip? Oh, did I fall asleep there for a second there? Holy crap, those things are tiring. Like, wow. Went in for what was originally scheduled to be 10 days and ended up due to weather coming out on the 13th day. But yeah, it's uh, the the last few days, as, as you say, you end up hating it. But the minute you step off that plane, you're like, okay, when are we going back? So it's, uh, it was an experience. <laughs> it really was. So this is your first flying trip, your first backcountry. Like I know you, you grizz hunt, you, I'm not saying you're not experienced, but it's, it's different. So it is. what's, what's your thoughts of it? So, um, freaky, amazing. I know you got some bad weather back there. Uh, you got to see what it's like with these Northern float operators, right? That that's an experience <laughs> in itself, right? It's just mind blowing, like in, in cool ways and like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. What, what was the highlight for you the whole trip? Would you say? The, the company, it sounds okay. cliche, cool. but the, the company was amazing. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine doing a solo hunt like that, especially with the weather that came in and having to, to spend so much time in a tent, like, when some of the, the the friends came in, we were at the tent by three and we weren't leaving till nine the next morning. And that's a, that's a hell of a lot of time to spend with your thoughts when, when it's, it's coming down at like minus seven overnight and you're dealing with 50 kilometer an hour gusts and snow and wind. And it's, it, it really, it, it screws with your mind a little bit and you, you really find out what you're made of. And it so- sounds like a, a cliche and you know, Oh yeah. You find out who you are when you do one of these hunts. And when you're, you're digging the poles in and you're, you're looking, okay, there's only 200 more meters to go up this little slide and the wind's coming down. It's well, you do look inside yourself and you go, well, it is a mental game at this point. I got all the right gear. I've got the direction I'm going. I've got everything I need physically but do I have what it takes mentally? And that's, that, that was a big takeaway for me. It was like, well, wow moment. You hear about people talking about it, but uh, until you've actually lived it and hiked it and slept it and ate it and washed it and drank it, et cetera, et cetera, you, you don't know it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, 
that that's the thing too is you were a little bit later season it wasn't super late season it was mm-hmm. cool, but later season but you, you do the august opener for uh sheep and then you have a totally different issue you're dying of heat exhaustion right mm-hmm. so although you can have bad weather in august as well in the mountains as you know so um yeah it's interesting that you got some really crappy weather and uh and and did it impact your hunt you were unable to you guys didn't get on caribou and that was the weather i think sounded like maybe was a bit of a factor there as well eh? oh absolutely we we landed on the the 13th and it was beautiful and we woke up on the 14th and there was two inches of snow outside the tent and we went "Uh oh but we saw a caribou right away 300 meters from the tent it was like oh game on and it wasn't legal and then another one stood up it might have been legal and they buggered off and that pretty much set the the tone for the trip because the weather was so unstable the animals just weren't moving uh we saw caribou up on one of the mountains, like way up there in the Alpine. And on the day we flew out, it was beautiful, but we were on the lake and those mountains that are about 7K straight across, you know where I'm referring to, up on the hills there, we spotted three caribou, but it was two cows and a calf and they were way up there. So they were just, the animals weren't moving. But uh, yeah, we saw maybe 15 caribou and a few moose and we, put two nice big bulls down so those yukon those those yukon bulls holy crap they like me and prince george we've we've taken a bunch of moose here and you get 400 pounders on the hook and 450 pounders on the hook and i i dropped one of the bulls at the butcher yesterday sunday morning sunday morning sunday afternoon sunday morning yeah all the days are blending into one but it was 454 pounds of deboned meat from one moose 11 game bags it's straight line from camp it was one and a half k but it took we shot it at 8 30 in the morning and we weren't done till about eight o'clock at night now it's between four guys it was nuts the size of these animals up there but yeah every step we took we're like okay life sucks we hate this why are we doing this but we each uh, took our share and now it's like, okay, well, we just booked today for 2023. So nice. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, congrats on a great hunt and uh, glad you got two moose and uh, yeah, successful mission and great, another great appreciation for the mountains and, and uh, yeah, sounds like a oh, great, yeah. great, we, we, great we did get up there into the mountains, but like I said, uh, we, when we crested that hill, it was okay. The weather's not too bad, but as soon as we got into that bowl, Greg and I were like, oh, this sucks. The wind just kicked the crap out of us. It was blowing sleet and hail and you couldn't see and literally nothing was moving again up there. Just they were all bedded on the leeward side and there was no safe way to get to it. We wanted to go over the crest and then down and check out the other side where they'd be hiding, but there was no way we could have done it safely. So yeah. see what the weather, see what, hopefully the weather is uh, a little different in 2023 and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Cool, man. Well, welcome back. Glad to have you back. We did miss you. Um, while you were away, we're dealing with this, uh, you know, these underage sheep or these short sheep, yeah. we're calling them, uh, that this issue that we're having in British Columbia this year. And um, while you're away, we had a chance to uh, sit down with, uh, it was myself and Adam Yonke from Beyond the Kill podcast sat down. Uh, Dylan Ayers at, reached out and asked us to do a podcast. Actually, uh, Dylan was looking for people that might want to talk on the issue. You you sent it over to me and said, "Hey, Dylan's talking about this. You might want to reach out to him," which I did while you're away. Um, so uh, on this podcast, we sit down, episode forty four, and talk about the short sheep issue in BC. Maybe some of the uh, causing factors, why it's a concern, uh, 
um, and had a really good talk. Um, obviously, Dylan's a sheep hunter, and um, we talk lots about short sheep. And then, of course, uh, getting Adam's perspective on things is always um, uh, fantastic to hear his perspective as well. So a really, really good episode. Um, this is recorded on the Eat Wild podcast uh, with Dylan hosting. Uh, Adam and I are guests. Um, Dylan has generously uh, said we could share the content. And we figured for our listeners uh, maybe that aren't familiar with the Eat Well podcast that you might want to uh, listen to this one and, and check it out. Um, have a good listen, but then head over to Dylan's podcast, Eat Wild, and uh, give him a listen as well. Um, he, he actually got a great ram this year. He talks about his sheep hunt on his own platform there as well. So uh, check him out. But um, anyway, uh, episode 44 and uh, Dylan Ayers from Eat Wild and Adam Yonke, Beyond the Kill, talking about short sheep. Um, and just before we let you go, a quick reminder that we do have just over a week to go for our uh, doghouse tent uh, trailer. Uh, it's a great raffle that's uh, donated to us by Doghouse. And uh, we got a few tickets left on that. Um, we This is a $10,000 package. It, it's awesome. It'd be fantastic. It'd be great for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're not going to take it in the mountains with you, but you take it out to the edge of the mountains. It's about great for deer camp, any of that stuff, and just a really, really cool setup. Um, all the money goes back to Wild Sheep Conservation BC. So just grab a couple tickets, uh, head over to wildsheepsociety.com. You can get your tickets there and, and let's, uh, we're going to draw that October 16th in Victoria here. So on that note, episode 44, um, short sheep with, uh, Dylan Ayers, myself and Adam Yonke. Enjoy. Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Hey folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. All right, so I was kind of all set to, to launch my sheep hunting, call it the Ramtastic Adventure Sheep Hunting Podcast Series. And uh, and if you follow me on social media, you'll know that we had an awesome sheep hunting adventure. And uh, I was just about to drop that, but on the on my way back from uh, elk hunting, I saw this post on social media and it was uh, of seven illegal rams that had come in to um, the uh, conservation officer service already this year and as it turns out there's about 12 illegal rams that have been shot this year so that's concerning for so many reasons and that's what this podcast is about so before i get into celebrating sheep hunting and storytelling about how awesome sheep hunting is and how much fun it can be i think it's important to recognize how challenging it can be and the the conservation impacts of of uh the illegal sheep harvest and uh, and 
and I also think the the larger impacts in terms of uh, the sustainability of the hunt, whether both socially and, and from a conservation perspective, but um, certainly uh, with with that level of error, it, it's concerning, and I, I think it, it brings up a lot of questions: Is that why is there such a high percentage of illegal animals being killed in a relatively small hunt with relatively small participation? And I think the next question that comes up is it. You know, what are those? What are the motivations? What are the drivers from the hunting community as to making the decisions to end up harvesting illegal animals? So, um, while on my way down from the north, I posted the the image and 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 kind of got it out there within the community, our Eat Wild social media community, and asking the question like, who who should we be talking about this issue with? And a couple of names that came up right away were um, Adam Yonke, who is the editor in chief. Uh, of the Journal of Mountain Hunting. He's also the co-host of the podcast, which uh, is a very successful podcast in, in the hunting space. And uh, the other f- person that was was mentioned that I should reach out to and talk to about this issue to, to have this conversation was was Kyle Stelter. And, and Kyle is the president of the of the Wild Sheep of British Columbia. He's also a director on the Wild Sheep. I think that goes across North America. Uh, but both of these guys, I... I I reached out to them within minutes. They got back to me and said, yeah, we want to have this conversation. This is a concern to see this, this many sheep coming in, illegal sheep. Uh, and it's a conversation that we need to have within the hunting community. So I was very pleased to have them on here. So anyways, next couple of days later, here we are Sunday night. They're, they're coming on to join us for, for this conversation. And I think it's an important one that we need to have as a hunting community. I think it touches on a number of themes, talks a little bit about the increase in, in overall hunting numbers in, in, in BC. It also talks about the different motivations that sort of new hunters may have as far as achievement and challenge as it relates to hunting. And uh, some interesting things to dive into here. So the conversation I think is really valuable and I hope you enjoy it. Now, before we get started, we do have a sponsor. I want to recognize uh, West Coast Kitchen. Uh, they do backpack food for us, uh, backpack hunters and sheep hunters. And uh, they create a whole food product and they dehydrate it, put it in a bag so you can enjoy it on your backcountry adventures. And their food's amazing. It sustains me on my uh, long adventures where I really need my body to perform. And uh, yeah, overall, it's a super good product. And um, if you want to go to their website, you can put Eat Wild into their discount code and you'll get a discount. Um, I think it's 10%. Anyways, awesome product. Happy to promote them on the podcast. All right, let's get into it. Hey, Kyle, Adam, welcome to the Eat Wild podcast. Kyle, how you doing? Pretty awesome, man. Appreciate you having uh have me on it's good to see your uh, smiling faces over there and uh, stoked to be here tonight yeah totally adam how high how, 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 you get excited about elk hunting <laughs> i sure am man i uh yeah it's a few days away and um hopefully I, I i don't come home with an uncut tag like i did for my sheep hunt this year so um you know uh, i'm excited but um yeah, really happy to be here to have this conversation and talk about uh obviously uh, a pretty serious issue for uh, the bc sheep community Totally. Well, I, I'm really, I mean, I'm quite stoked to have, I said it before, like we started recording a couple of heavy hitters on the Eat Wild podcast to talk about <laughs> this issue. And I was on my way back from from my elk hunt and it's a long drive. And the, that image of those sheep, there's a, I think there's six, there's seven or eight rams on the back of a CO truck, um, all of which were confiscated for 
various reasons because they were illegal sheep. And uh, that image is quite stunning. And and the caption in it, I think it was Kyle, I think probably BC Wild Sheep put it out um, about, you know, that there had been a number of sheep. Uh, well, maybe Kyle, just quickly give me the, the synopsis of the story you guys had posted initially uh, of the illegal rams. Yeah, you bet, Dylan. Uh, the provincial wild sheep mount goat uh, specialist reached out to us, Bill Jackson, just said uh, they've seen a severe uptick in the number of short sheep shot in it this year, that it's uh, unprecedented what they're seeing come across their their desk. And uh, originally, I think that photo showed seven rams that were, quote, illegal. They didn't meet the uh, full curl or mature criteria. Uh, for And that was for Region 7 slash 7B alone. So, um, I'm hearing about a 12 rams at this point that uh, they know of that have been harvested that weren't legal. So, um, you know, obviously a very serious thing that these these are illegal animals that are being shot. It's like shooting a three-point and a four-point season and, um, you know, obviously has long-term effects on their wild sheep population. So something that we're very concerned about. Yeah, absolutely. So I, having seen that, I, I just threw a post up to sort of tell that story a little bit and share it. And I asked the folks out there, who should I be talking to about this issue and what's driving the, you know, why are, why are a number of sheep coming in that are illegal? And both your names came up from, from the social media world that have on here. So I was, I was great, great within, within an hour, both of you guys had committed to coming on the podcast in a couple of days. So thank you for that. And I appreciate you having this conversation. And so, so what I'd like to get to is really like, you know, just to dive a little bit into, you know, how do we get to a place where, you know, on an average year, there is three to five illegal sheep harvested in British Columbia. And in this year, I'm, I've heard similar numbers, Kyle, about 12 sheep have come in, uh, illegal sheep. Um, and, uh, and that's, well, well, it's over double that we would typically see. And uh, then obviously that's concerning. And, and I think a few of the numbers that are important here is that we're talking about uh, an average annual harvest of about 200 sheep in British Columbia and and this year, and most of those being thinhorn, um, that uh, you know, if you're talking about twelve, you know, twelve animals, that's that's a that's a that's a huge percentage of the population that are being I- incorrectly harvested. Maybe I'll ask you, Adam. Adam, did you see any legal rams on your sheep hunt? Um, I'm going to give it ninety eight percent yes. Um, but it was from a distance of, uh, far enough away that it was, we needed to get closer. And, um, as much as I, I hate to admit it, uh, the, we couldn't get closer in the time we had left. So I've got a couple of Rams burn a hole in my brain since then that I, you know, and I guess maybe what I would say is I'm probably 99% confident that they were legal on curl, but from three K away, you can never be sure. And we had to get closer, but that was, um, that wasn't going to be sufficient for, for us. Um, my hunting partner and I, uh, as far as, um, you know, sort of the standard we'd, we'd set, but we did see some. Yeah. Cool. And I, and I think we'll probably come back to that. Like there's the, I, I, I came back from my first successful sheep hunt and there was the, there's sort of a gap that you close where the sheep, you see the sheep at, you know, three kilometers away and you're 90% sure. And as you get closer to the animal, um, you know, you, you might, you, you see more characteristics of the legal ram. And maybe you go to 95% certainty, mm-hmm. 98% certainty. And then a hundred yards away, you're counting rings and you're 99% sure. But trying to get to that hundred percent certainty requires a lot of experience mm-hmm. and confidence. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, 
that process is really challenging. Maybe Kyle, I, I know you're, you, you've been a sheep hunter a long time and maybe you could just share what that process is like kind of the, the hunt. Carrie, just walk us through a bit what, what a sheep hunt's about from kind of the mountain hunting aspect to the looking at a legal ram. Well, that's, uh, you just killed two hours there, Dylan, for oh, us. So, uh, and, three sentences. <laughs> I'll try and keep it a bit pithy, but um, yeah, no, of course that that's the, the uh, the whole thing is uh, being on the mountain and being in their backyard, uh, at least for me and a lot of people I talk to and the wild sheep community. And that's a great thing that, you know, I feel that the wild sheep community's uh, grown into this experience from the Wild Sheep Foundation in BC here. we got the Wild Sheep Society of BC and then, and of course, Adam, what he's been doing with the journal. Um, you know, this backcountry experience, this mountain experience, um, being on the mountain, what's like to be in their backyard and um, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job of articulating that, um, certainly through the journal and, and then the foundation does a fantastic job day in and day out. So people are wanting to be out there. They want to experience that. They want to go in and be in the backyard with the wild sheep and see where they live and how they, and honestly, for me, I've been very fortunate. I think I've been on five different, uh, trips where we've harvested sheep and, uh, it's cool. But uh, honestly, some of my best experiences, we came home with our tags uncut. Um, it's just being in their backyard. This year, like Adam, I'm, I was out there. I was, I think I spent 14 days in the backcountry and um, never pulled the trigger. Um, and I was 99.9% sure on one ram. But uh, it was one of those things where we just never, ever, ever got full assurance. And, and you know, we could never have a scenario what we're looking at here with this issue that we're talking about tonight. So, um, so I guess that kind of leads to to where you're headed and, and trying to get close enough and and understand if these sheep are legal and it's a really really tough thing and I'm certainly never going to sit there and tell people how to judge sheep because I can't do it um, I'm certainly going to mentor someone that I might take it out in the field with me and and uh, the my sheep hunting partner he's been doing it for I think about 35 years now so yeah I couldn't have a better more experienced guy um, with me. And even then, you know, we never, ever independently are going to ever harvest a sheep without having had some dialogue and each looked at them and, and given our like five-star approval, we just don't do that. Um, and this year was another example, you know, we had a ram and we never got quite to that hundred yards, which we needed to, and we just couldn't make a decision on him. It, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind he was legal, but there was that 0.1% where we just didn't know. We just, and, uh, we let him walk. We just watched him walk off the, uh, the mountain at, uh, he was still at 500 yards, which, you know, I wouldn't have shot him anyway at that range, but uh, we never got close enough to to get that final decision. A bit of a windy day, and we couldn't count the rings, and he was downhill on us, so we had some challenges knowing if he was full curl past the nose. He sure looked like it, but again, you know, there's so many challenges with this aging scenario. So there's the aging aspect, and then there's a the full curl aspect, and I guess for your listeners to keep it pretty tight, with um, there's thin horn and big horns. And with thin horns, there's really two criteria. Full curl is full curl. If they're past the nose when viewed um, from the side, effectively they they get the gold seal approval. And then there's also a, a maturity issue. And if they're eight years of age, and you can verify that, that also makes them legal as well. Again, consult the regulations. Don't take my word on this. Read your regs and understand them. But really, that's the two criteria that you they have they they need to meet before you can one of those two before you can harvest one so really you need to um, make sure they're either eight years old or, or greater or full curl 
And that's really what's happening is these guys have guys or gals, whoever they are, have gone out, harvest the sheep, and they haven't been past the nose uh, or they haven't been eight years of age. And that's the issue. They've shot, they call it short sheep, not me, me making past the nose, and they're underage as well. So that's, that is the crux of the matter. Adam, feel free to, to follow up on that if I missed anything. No, I mean, I think, I think you nailed it. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, Dylan, I'm not sure what the level of experience will be to, to you know, a, a certain proportion of the audience, right? But when it's described that way, it sounds, you know, re- reasonably straightforward, right? It's like, you know, whatever. You see the rings, you see past the nose. Well, if you look at enough sheep horns, you know that, you know, I mean, yours yours is, is a great example, right? You're the gentleman's ram. Um, you know, there it had a lot of character, had a lot of coloration that made it, um, you know, a, a, a challenge to age. And you guys did a, a you know a damn great job of doing that, right? Some sheep it couldn't be easier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is, you know, like Kyle said, you read you read, you read the regs, you look at the the pictures in the regs, and you're like, oh, come on, how hard can this be? And then you get out there, and it's uh, it's a hell of a lot tougher than than it, uh, and and maybe that's a great thing. Right. Um, we just need to, um, exercise a little bit more, uh, I don't know what the word would be. Patience, caution, uh, restraint maybe, um, because it's, it isn't as easy as, as it looks to be on, on paper. Yeah, I, I would, I would totally agree. And, you know, I, as I was sitting on the hundred yards from the gentleman Ram, I was feeling such a high level of anxiety as to whether or not I could distinguish that that ram was a hundred percent legal, that at a couple of points I was like, I can walk away, I can just walk away, and I don't have to deal with this anxiety anymore to try and 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 see this through. And that, and that in itself is so like I, I think that's such an interesting conversation around like uh, that uncertainty and anxiety that it builds. Like, why would you put yourself through that? Mm. And I think we'll talk about that later about some of the motivations around like why we find ourselves sort of putting it going through this. And I think that's an important conversation, but let, that that's a great start. Let, let, let me just throw out a few stats out of interest. And I think this is kind of neat. Um, so in, in British Columbia, in, in, um, in the last 10 years, we've seen about a 10% increase in hunter participation, people buying their hunting licenses in British Columbia. Uh, so we're, we're up to about 107,000 uh, BC hunting license holders, which is, which is getting close to our, I think in like the 80s, there was something like 120,000 or 130,000 hunting licenses sold. I should be careful because I don't have that one on top of my head, but I recall that being somewhere in the neighborhood. So we're, so general growth in, in hunting um, over the past, you know, about 10% in the past 10 years. But sheep is kind of interesting. And I, and I, 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 when I looked at this, so there was two, uh, 2,200 sheep tags sold in 20, uh, 2011 and or 2020 and then in 2020 2021 20, 2020 2021 there's 3200 so I think if my math is right that's almost a well, it's a thousand more tags which is essentially about a 50 percent increase on 2000 so wow. that's a significant increase when we're looking at a general increase in participation of 10 percent but in the sheep hunting interest there's a considerable growth in in, in interest which I which I think is remarkable. Now, the other interesting part about this is that the sheep harvest rate has actually dropped in the last 10 years. So that could be, uh, well, maybe I'll ask two questions sorry, based on those numbers. First is, Adam, I'll ask you, have, have you seen, and, and, and as, you're, as, a, as the editor and involved with the, pro, with the Journal of Mountain Hunting Project, uh, 
have you seen an increased interest in sheep hunting within your following or readership? Um, and does, does, do those stats make sense to you? It's the first time hearing those stats and it's, it, it, it's certainly surprising, um, th- that it's that significant an increase. Um, you know, I, I struggle to answer this, you know, in, in the simple way that you're asking it, Dylan, because that was always kind of like the core focus of the publication was the, the diehard or dedicated mountain hunter, whether that's sheep or goats or, you know, deep back country for elk or mule deer, whatever it might be, you know, moose, et cetera. Um, so I, I feel like my lens might be a little bit, um, tainted on that because it's always kind of been, I mean, and within that community, we all well know that, you know, sheep are at, at the top there. That's the pinnacle. So it's always been a, a topic of discussion. I would say generally, in the landscape of the hunting media space, there's been a big shift, a big change, right? I mean, when we started the journal, you know, you'd be, and part of the inspiration for me doing it was I couldn't get enough, you know, sort of hardcore mountain hunting content from any other source, right? It was like the Sitka blog or the Kuyu blog, or somebody would, you know, post an awesome story on hunting BC and I just devour, I mean, Kyle, Dave Marsh's stories, right? Like, a guy like him and and the effort he would put into that it was amazing right um well now just how much content is out there from you know publications like ours or projects like like mine um but there's just so many many uh, so many other outlets out there uh, promoting this lifestyle and, and that's a great thing but um you know i think it uh may have uh you know, have people rushing to achieve something that they need to spend more time learning about and whatever that may be. So I, I think, although I haven't seen it like a big change in our audience, I think the broader audience for mountain hunting has grown massively in the last number of years, last few years. Yeah. That's a kind of interesting way of, of, uh, I, I like that, how you broke that down and, and, and I sort of acknowledging just how much across the board how many people are, are are doing this and going out and doing their own projects and telling the story and and you know yeah 10 years ago there wasn't a lot of people talking about this stuff and you know i think it's important that there's a not like i've always enjoyed the journal because you're providing information about how to do this stuff safely and talking about the gear and and uh but the it seems that the explosion of storytelling around mountain hunting is just yeah it's like well tenfold now 10 years later which is not surprising so yeah, and if I could just add to that quickly, Dylan, you know, I, I think um, you, know, you use the term storytelling. Well, there's there's varying degrees of, of storytelling. And I think, you know, it, we all know the, the phrase, you know, do it for the gram. Uh, and I'm not going to sit here and say it's all about social media. I think that's like the easy card that everyone throws down. It's, oh, it's because of social media. And that there's a, it's a factor. But I think, um, you know, there's, and, and I, I, you've hit into that getting to this later, you know, the motivation or the, the ethos within the community. I think that's changed a lot um, since, you know, I started the journal seven years ago and certainly in the past 10, probably 20 years, there's uh, I think there is a change in, in, in the ethos in, in a segment of the community, right? This, this need to do it to prove something versus um, for a true love of, you know, the animals and, and the places they they put you 
Okay, that's okay. So we were that's kind of where I want to get to and dive into that a little bit before we get there, Kyle. I want you just just because you're sort of you know you're, this is your world. You know that sheep harvest rate is sort of interesting when you're seeing participation increasing by fifty percent and you're seeing either stable or maybe even dropping off uh, sheep pop uh, sheep harvest rates. Um, I think. 10 years ago, 250 rams were killed. I think we're down to about 170 rams or in around between 170 and 200 rams last couple of years. Any any thoughts on what those drivers are for for lower? I, th- I think the um, sheep harvest rate in BC is 80 hunter days for every, every harvested ram. And I think that's maybe 10 years ago, it was maybe 50 days of hunting effort for every harvested ram in BC. Yeah, you know, it's a good question. The thing is, uh, we are seeing new people out in the the backcountry and people out on their own without maybe that mentorship or support and trying to do it on their own. And uh, it's no joke. You know, they they always say, um, what's the, I'm going to butcher the adage here, but they say the ram you killed is uh, going to be born the year you start sheep hunting, meaning that it's going to take you eight or nine years before you're going to kill your first ram of sheep hunting. So, um, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and, um, you know, if somebody goes out there and thinks they're going to be lucky and harvest a 40-inch ram or, uh, you know, 170-inch stone sheep in their first year, I think it's pretty naive. And, uh, you know, if you, if you even get to see one, I think it's a privilege in your first year. And at some point, you know, you're going to be lucky and, you know, Adam, I think you're still less than one. And how many years you've been hunting sheep for? Nine years. Yeah, and you're a hell of a hunter. I know it's not for lack of effort, not lack of intel, not lack of information, not lack of commitment, um, not lack of uh, uh, input. And and here we are, nine years later. And mm-hmm. so to me, that that tells a story, right? And but I do think there are new challenges. I think that uh, there is some increased pressure. Well, we've seen this increase of fifty percent, like you said, Dylan. So. We know there's more people on the landscape. I think, uh, you know, with the advent of technology, we have access to more information on the internet. Um, just go and go to one of the popular websites and and Google a, a number of lakes for hunting sheep in BC. And there's just going to be a list come up and you call up a float operator and off you go. Back in the old days, back when I started, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of information. And my first sheep show, I went up to Kamloops. It was Dave Marsh. And Dave was like, you know, if you want a sheep hunt, you got to go come here and you got to talk to us and talk to sheep hunters. That's where sheep hunters hang out. Come here and hang out. And uh, that's where I got my first you know, X on the map or whatever. I guess I didn't get that, but somebody said, go check this out. And, you know, I was lucky and we got into sheep and and it was fantastic. So I think that, you know, things have changed a little bit with technology and information. And, you know, you, you talked about, you know, is it easier to harvest a sheep? I, I think that we have all the resources that should make it harder, easier, but I believe now it's much harder um, just, you know, with increased pressure and uh, maybe also expectations. And, and I think you just got to be more resourceful now um, if you think you're going to fly into your local lake and hike for half an hour off the lake or half a day and get a sheep, you're probably going to have to hike two or three days if you're going to be successful or, or have success. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it, Dylan. Yeah. Then you got to have the weather and, you know, then you got to have sheep show up and all these other factors that make it extremely difficult. Uh, so that was my question. You kind of asked my first question, which is, 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 is sheep hunting easier than ever? And Adam, you know, what are your thoughts around, I mean, this is kind of, you know, there's uh, advancements in, in, in gear and technology as it relates to mountain hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of an obvious question, but maybe you can just share with us how how 
much easier it is to be in the mountains compared to 20 years ago. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up a mountain hunter. I'm, I'm from, <clears throat> pardon me, um, Eastern Ontario. So I, you know, I can't speak to 20 years ago. I can certainly speak to 10 plus years ago. Um, just the changes I've, I've seen. And then especially with, you know, through or through the journal, um, and, and, you know, having the good fortune to, to meet a lot of people in the gear and, and et cetera space, it, it is just wild. I mean, you got rifles that are stripped down to nothing, right? A few pounds. Like we're, and we're not, when I say a few, I don't mean like seven to 10. I mean, like you can find rifles three. like four, you know, three, yeah, four, five scoped, you know, it's crazy. So, you know, and this is something that, um, you know, I, I'm not gonna say I struggle with, but I've said this on our podcast, uh, probably a hundred times. Like I waited longer than I wanted to, to go North. Like when you asked me how long have I been sheep hunting, it should be longer, but I waited because I couldn't find someone to go with or to take me. And I was, you know, just hesitant. Right. And and at some point you just got to go and be willing to learn. Right. But that's like, that's a really, really key part of this whole process, that willingness to learn and to accept, you know, quote unquote, a failed trip, but a massive learning opportunity trip as like extreme success. And so, um, you know, on, on the gear side of things, it is so much easier to feel confident and comfortable going, like not waiting, right? And so if, if you hear somebody say like, oh, just get out there and, and just get out there and you, you gotta, you're gonna figure it out. You gotta get your reps in, you know, you gotta pay your dues, whatever it might be. Um, so many of the barriers that, you know, might have existed 10 years ago, just don't, right? I mean, the apparel's great. The packs are great. The boots are great. The optics are, you know, crazy. Range finders are getting smart. Scopes are getting smart. Like there's just mm -hmm. so many things that um, can make you uh, more comfortable, maybe not capable, but certainly comfortable. But like the gear can't replace skills. And I think that's, you know, a huge, huge part of this problem, right? Is that we are, you know, constantly spoon fed gear and shoot, you know, I'm, I'm part of that, right? With through our publication, we talk about gear a lot, like you said, Dylan, but there's just no replacement for skills, right? Like, you know, how many times have we all heard the story guy in, you know, denim cowboy boots and a plaid shirt and riding a horse and still gets it done, you know? So, um, the gear is, you know, such a part of this community, but it's not what makes this community. Yeah, so, that's if I could put it that way. I was brainstorming this topic with Mickey, my, my partner. We were going for a, a chanterelle mushroom pick today, the first of the season, and uh, took a drive to our secret spot, and we were kind of bouncing ideas off each other. But so, you know, so Kyle, you, you know, what, what you just sort of share with us, like information is more available than ever as it relates to mountain hunting. And Adam, you're like, well, and gear is more you know, is, is going to keep us safer, but information and gear do not equal, you know, experience and skill, which is something that takes time to develop. And I was, uh, thinking back, I did a podcast a while, a while back with, um, last year with Mark Hall, uh, of the Hunter Conservationist podcast. And we talked about the, uh, the Hunter graduation scale. And it was kind of about like, you know, as a new hunter, where, how do you, what should be your first endeavor as hunting and how do you build up that confidence, experience and skill to eventually get to uh, a place where you have, you know, like, like, so you start with grouse and that kind of gets you to a mule deer spike buck and that gets you to maybe a whitetail buck and eventually you take on a bigger animal like a moose or an elk. 
And then probably somewhere right at the end of this hunter graduation scale is, you know, going up and hunting a goat or hunting a sheep. And because of what I think is the amount of like skill and experience and knowledge that it would take to be safe in the mountains, as well as be confident as a hunter, um, as you're approaching these much more technical, challenging hunts. Like I, I know that in my own hunter graduation process that it, you know, I, I, I've hunted since I was a kid, like 12 years old and, and, you know, sheep hunting is something that I only started really focusing on in the last 10 years. That's partly because of, I think, financial barriers or something, just having the time and money to go and uh, invest in a two week, you know, fly in type trip, um, or just even to walk in. Um, and then, you know, just also, yeah, like as you get more comfortable and experienced in the mountains that this becomes, it opens itself up to you as an opportunity. So would you say, Adam, that you're seeing people kind of, you know, maybe jumping from grouse to sheep hunting in your, in your view of, of things? Well, you know, it's funny as, you, as you're talking about that, I, I made a note to myself. Um, I think we've probably all heard it a lot. And, and you know, Dylan, I, I would assume that you have a lot of interactions with people that fallen under the, the label adult, adult onset hunter. Um, and that's a, an, an amazing thing. Like some of the most passionate crazy obsessed hunters I know in the mountain hunting space are adult onset hunters because they find this kind of like, you know, a little bit later in life than those of us that grew up with it. And it is like a drug that they do not want out of their arm. And it's awesome. Like I love seeing that. I like I I love seeing people have the opportunity to to have these experiences. But if you think about, you know, a lot of the people, especially in <laughs> pardon me, um you know, the, our audience and, and, you know, this is maybe in a, in a sort of a boomerang fashion coming back to the, the question you asked me a while back, Dylan, we see people that come from a, like high level of competency in some other mountain activity, backcountry skiing, climbing, you know, um, even just like professionally forestry, you know, s- stuff like that who have, you know, the, the fundamental skills to be very comfortable in you know, the kind of environments that some people that grow up with grouse, then mule deer, and a lot of people top out at, you know, elk and moose. And that's great. Like, that's awesome. But they don't go, you know, they don't see the point of, or the interest in say goats or sheep, or it's a, maybe a one day thing. Well, a lot of these people that come into it late, they're coming into it because of goats and sheep, right? Like that's, that's the draw. And it's not so much that they, I mean, I'm sure there's people that are they're skipping, skipping steps, but I mean, if your entry point is, you know, I'm a badass mountain, something or other, you got all the skills in the world to be in the mountains. And now all you have to do is learn how to shoot well or stalk if it's with a bow and then, you know, age and gender identify. Um, then, you know, they, a lot of people can feel that that runway is pretty short. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a, there's a, there's an interesting phenomenon happening with that. Um, that is, I'm sure, maybe not part of what we're specifically discussing, you know, here today with these um, these short sheep, but it's definitely a part of the community now. Yeah. So they. So what I'm sort of where I see that is that it you've already got a culture of people who are enjoy the challenge of the mountains and are are seeking to bag that peak or ski that unskied run or shoot or something like that and. And they're ste- sidestepping over and adding sheep hunting to it, and it's like, wow, I could do all those mountains and add this incredibly challenge, this huge challenge to it, and mm-hmm. try to achieve this incredible accomplishment. And um, Kyle, from you know, from your perspective, and you know, in wild sheep and and you know, having a huge membership and 
lots of lots of people in the community. Are you seeing a shift in in some of the motivations of of people coming to wild sheep or, or becoming sheep hunters? Uh, you know, that's, that's a good question. I, I don't know that I've seen a significant shift, although, you know, like Adam said, we had a gentleman this year that signed up as a member and that's exactly, uh, he, he was in the hiking community and, uh, very experienced guy in the backcountry, And he, he, he figured out hunting and I'm not sure if it was through, I'm not sure exactly what the catalyst was. I wouldn't be surprised that it was through the journal. It was something like that. And uh, so he, he decided, okay, I'm going to go get my my gun license, my core. Went through all the steps, and his first year, he went out and shot a, a really nice ram, and his first that's his, his first big game animal harvested. So, you know uh, that you don't normally see in 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 uh, in my space. Uh, you know, typically when I joined uh, the society, uh, you know, over a decade ago, uh, there was a lot of uh, people that were very experienced hunters, and and kind of you know slowly got into the sheep game and. And uh, that was kind of the transition. It, we, I never really seen anyone that was their first hunt ever was a sheep hunt. So I, I think that there has been a bit of a, a transition. And I really think it does go back to, uh, you know, the great job that, you know, our community's done, the, the hunting community's done, and particularly the journals led that that uh, right from the get-go, you know, um, for seven years now, Adam's been, you know, creating this experience and, and talking what it's like to be in this backcountry uh, but I think in picking back in that the foundation for years has done that as well. And they've just done such a great job of articulating how great it is to be back there and the, the mountain experience and the majesty of, of the wild sheep themselves. So I think there's a, a, a big part of that is is definitely being creating this interest for this community. And a lot of people are, are looking to this now and they want to be part of that. And there's so much on it now. It, it just, if you go on Instagram or, or Facebook, it, it's just, it's endless the amount of, backcountry experiences is and and you know i can see why it's alluring for people for sure yeah i think um so maybe that kind of moves us to sort of this where maybe the i mean the pressure or the mounting pressure to have success comes from and i uh, i work in park management in my in my real life or my real job this is like this this is my side hustle um but uh and you know of course we and i and i manage the busiest provincial parks in, in, in BC being the lower mainland provincial parks. And, and of course we have increases in, in, uh, the it, tremendous increases in searches and deaths in our parks. And most of those, you know, when you start to relate what's happening, it's because people are going out and trying to have experiences that are beyond their capabilities there. And, and, you know, a lot of what we, what we're, what we're surmising from this is that people, they see images of their peers going out and, getting to a waterfall or to a peak or to a viewing area and it becomes it looks accessible because they saw their peer do it and then i think compounding that is also sort of that sentiment of wanting to achieve that same experience so there's the the first piece is that it looks more accessible and the second piece is there's sort of this drive to have success and i think very much so this is what might be happening within our within our hunting community whether it's you know four point bucks or and I think that if you look towards the sheep end of things, it's really the pinnacle of this sort of like, hey, I got my sheep and I'm just as guilty as anybody else. It's the first thing I did after a successful sheep hunt is I got the images up and shared the story. And, you know, and that's something that, you know, I, you know, it's, it's a big part of my hunting story. But, you know, I think for that's something that's part of and And granted, like when when I shot my first sheep, I felt some level of relief from the pressure. That had that there was around 
Adam, do you feel that pressure? Oh, like dude, you- yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah, I have you know for for a long time. Um, but, but you said something there I think is really, uh, and and maybe it wasn't like maybe I'm taking it differently than what you intended. But when you said when I shot my sheep, like that's a really, really, really important statement for us. I think to to promote more. And and if I could, Dylan, I want to share a story from my most recent uh, hunt up north. Um, we uh, got our asses absolutely handed to us in our first location. It was a hiking hunt. And uh, had come back out to the truck and we're, you know, looking at our wounds and realizing we weren't nearly as tough as we thought we were, right? And these um, two guys come walking up to, to a vehicle that was parked in the same area. And it was a father-son. And, and Kyle, I've been meaning to ask you, because I'm, I'm going to bet you'll know the guy, I won't share his name on here, but he's wearing a WSSBC hat. You know, he was in his early fifties, um, like sinew, sinew, muscle and bone. That's it. Been hunting sheep for 30 odd years. They're wearing like these frame packs that are like seven feet tall. Um, it makes a gear, right? Um, but, uh, it was, and the the sun was in his early (laughs) twenties. They went in, uh, seven days before the opener. And only had given themselves like four, five after. Um, but they wanted to be in there for that long. One, to find the ram that they were after. Um, not that they knew what they were after, but like a certain class. But they were also just very happy to just be in sheep for seven days with zero ability to pull the trigger. This guy had videos of sheep walking around their camp. Like just milling about, like he said, a petting zoo. It was, it was just, it was nuts. And we get chatting with him. <laughs> pardon me. And um, you know, he goes on to say, like, oh yeah, I know. We he shows us a picture. He's like, this is the guy. This is the one we were after, but we couldn't get to him. And um, and he was there for his son. And like the sort of punchline to the story is, it's like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got my ram. Spent the last three years trying to get one for his son. Right? He's been hunting for 30 years and then maybe he's got a few i don't know but there was this, just this level of respect for the sheep that you know at the at the point in the trip like coming back to pressure i'm <laughs> feeling like shit pardon the french for you know having our butts handed to us i'm starting to feel this like not again not again right feeling and then this guy walks out of the bush and he's just thrashed from this hike but he just has this you know, m- moment of pure honesty of like, I've got my ram and we found some, some legal shootable sheep for his son, but not at the standards he had set for, for his family. Legal's legal. I'm not making passing judgment or saying anything there, but man, was that something for me? Like to just, it was, it was, it was just incredible. And I had a, <laughs> a good buddy of mine. This was his first sheep hunt. And it was just such an incredible moment for him as well. Like his first sheep hunt and to run into somebody like this from, again, coming back to that ethos of not any ram, a ram, or even the ram. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, it's, I'm not, again, I'm not passing judgment on anyone who's killed a whole pile of sheep. That's incredible. That is an incredible achievement. But I think we, we need to talk about those sort of guys more than, yeah. you know, the, the whack and stack, personally. Yeah, and I, I mean that's 
you know, I, I, I'm battling, I constantly battle my own ego when it comes to hunting and, and, uh, it's something that, you know, I, 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 um, I, I see it crop up at times. And if, uh, when I get my, there's an interesting story in it, we, we did some podcasting around our sheep hunt this year and there's some, there's a sort of a moment where like, I, I kind of reflect on how, how like beat up I am by my ego driving my, you know, my feeling around the hunt that we're on because the, uh, our, our, actually our buddies who are actually on their first, there's four of us in an area and we, and Jenny and I split up when we went up one ridge and our buddies went up the other ridge. Now this is their, literally their first ever sheep hunt they've been on and they climb up 40 minutes up this ridge and they put their spotting scope up and there's, they see a ram on the ridge side on the sky, skyline and it's a no doubter legal ram. Like it's got a four inch curl above its nose, like no doubt. And so when we come back down to base camp and we talk about what we're doing for opening day, like they're kind of like, well, you know, Dylan, you're kind of like the, the old guy here, you know, you got to put together the hunt. Maybe you should go shoot this Ram. And of course I can't do that. Cause that's, they, you know, they spotted the Ram and, but my ego is like, oh man, like this is like year 10 of dedicated trips and probably year 15 to look at rounds and like, and I was just getting beat up by my ego. And I was saying, hey, like, sorry, guys, I'm tuning out here. Like, I'm just my ego is like kind of eating me up here a bit. What really I should be just so thrilled that we are in sheep country and you guys found a sheep and this is wonderful. Like, this is, this is wonderful. And spending more time in that space of like checking the ego and this is wonderful, this experience. And I love that story, Adam, because I, that dude is like in that wonderful headspace. Like mm, he's, yeah. and, and, you know, and meanwhile you're kicking rocks and it's just like, no, no, like yeah. we're, just, we're so privileged to be here, yeah. you know? Well, and, 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 and like I share that story, not to say like we should all conduct ourselves in that manner. I share that as like, there are, there are different versions of success in, in, in sheep hunting and all hunting, but it was just, you know, and I've, I've met many a person like this um, since I kind of, got involved with, with the sheep community. I mean, the, the gentleman who was responsible for me going on my very first true Northern trip, um, he, uh, he was, he was telling me stories left, right and center. And every time he would come back from a sheep hunt, he would say, Nope, didn't kill one because he knew what he was looking for. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think, and, and then there's those who, you know, they, they get a good legal Ram, you know, you know, under, under their belt. And then they're looking for a certain thing they want tipped out they want broom they want like there's there's ways to go about it that um you know is to each their own so i, I don't want anyone listening to think that i'm saying that you should only ever take one ram that is not what i'm saying it's just i think when we expose ourselves to <laughs> i hate to throw out the social media thing again but people who probably don't have a social media account you go to like the Kamloops convention for instance kyle and talk to some of the people that roam the floor there or you know reno for the 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 Wild Sheep Foundation Sheep Show, um, you meet some people who, you know, couldn't even spell Facebook or Instagram, uh, but they've got a hell of a, hell of a lot of experience under their belt. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Kyle, maybe you, so you, you've been around sheep hunting a, a long time in the community and no doubt you've been, you've been, you've heard these stories of, 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 you know, hunters making mistakes. Can you reflect on why hunters are making mistakes from, from your perspective as someone who's been immersed in this world for a long time, what are some of the common mistakes and, and what do they look like? Yeah. I, you know, at the end of the day, um, when you're coming off the mountain and you're getting, you're getting your, your sheep CI'd and that, you know, that's some of the, 
things that people have been asking me, like why why are they shooting these illegal sheep? Like why why would they do that? And the short answer is, first of all, they don't know they're illegal. Nobody would shoot a ram thinking it was legal, um, illegal, and because you have to take it in, you have to get it CI'd, um, and all these sheep are uh, sorry, yeah, compulsory inspection. So they have to be inspected by a government biologist or a designate, a contractor, if you will. So they have to go through this inspection process, and then they get plugged. And the Wild Sheep Foundation provides what's called plugs to every single um, uh, sheep uh, hunting environment or, or area in North America, they, in the world, actually. They provide these plugs. And what they do is they drill a hole in the horn, and the plug goes in, and basically it stops the illegal trade of uh, sheep going across borders. Or if you don't have a plug, that sheep is illegal. It's been poached at some point. Um, so it needs to have a plug to be, quote, certified uh, by these government biologists. So every sheep that you have has to go through a compulsory inspection. So nobody's ever going to pull the trigger on an illegal ram um, unless they're just outright poaching. I guess it probably does happen, but we're I'm not familiar of any cases of that. So um, with regards to, uh, you know, how does this happen? At the end of the day, I think, it you know, uh, there maybe is a lack of education or a lack of uh, certainty about pulling the trigger. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that we really advocate through the society is is aging sheep and making sure that you know that they're legal. And, you know, it, it's interesting. This year is a, a bad year for us, knowing that we have 12 uh, underage rams that were harvested. Uh, but we've probably done more outreach this year about um, sheep and about aging and about how important it is. Uh, Adam, he, uh, through the journal, you guys did a great job. Clay did a seminar earlier, Clay Lancaster, a renowned guide, not guide outfitting community did a great video on it. Um, you guys shared it. We shared it through our convention, through, uh, our social media channels. Um, we've had horn aging through the regional biologists on our network. Now the one component that's been missed the last two years, and I'm not going to attribute this year to that is we normally have horn aging at our sheep show and we in Kamloops that we didn't do that this year because and the last because of COVID we were canceled. So obviously this is not directly tied to it. We get, we get maybe 50 people or a hundred people to our seminars less than a hundred for sure. So that's really not the issue. So why is this happening? I think, you know, there is a huge motivation for people to go out there and, and uh, kill a sheep. Um, you know, for me, like I said, I've been very blessed. I've, I've been able to hunt with a very experienced guy that um, has spent years doing this. Um, and he did teach me about patience and about, uh, you know, not not being quick to pull the trigger. And there's many a ram over the years that we've let walk off the mountainside because we just weren't sure. You know, we, we counted eight and we were sure there were eight. We both thought there were eight. Uh, we kind of have this rule, and this is our personal hunting rule, but unless we can confirm nine and confirm nine, uh, we wouldn't even think about pulling the trigger. So if we count a ram and we see eight rings, unless he's well past his nose, of course, like then it's a no-brainer. But that in itself, too, is challenging, Dylan, and I, I know we got got to be respectful of your time tonight, but a lot of people will judge rams and they'll say, yeah, he was full curl, but there's a whole bunch of factors that go into that, and, and as we know it's not simple, you know, depending on your perspective, if you're above the ram or below the ram, all of it changes. Um, and there's been many a ram that you know, we've passed that 
we look at him and he's he's standing up there on the hill and he's above us and he looks well past his nose but being at a 20 degree or 15 degree angle at that ram we just can't verify that he actually is above his nose because it has to be looked at um from a, a level perspective so yeah a lot of a lot of factors go in and it's one of the hardest things to do for sure um you know it's not simply looking um and counting four points you know you're you're if you're kind of can't counting those rings and you're not sure you, you shouldn't even be thinking about um going after them so you know i think one of the, the things you know i guess what your question is what what's the change it's always been hard it, it, there's no question it's always been hard to judge a ram that hasn't changed i think what's happened is um you know maybe people's the, the pressure's higher and i think that mentorship piece is a big part of it you know having someone in the in the field and having that someone there to support you and if you got a great mentor, it really, really helps a lot. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of people that go out in their first hunt and they're by themselves and they, they're still successful. I'm not saying you can't do it, but, um, you know, I think having that mentorship piece is a really big part of it. Yeah, no doubt. And I think it kind of comes back to the, either the hunter graduation scale, which sort of implicitly has that mentorship support. The part that kind of interests me and I, and I, like I, if you, like nothing's a hundred percent in hunting. Well, if you're hunting six point bull elk, like, I mean, you're sure there's six points there, but like, like you, you count them, you count them again, you count them again, and then you pull the trigger as you get more experienced. Maybe instead of counting 10 times, you count three times and, and you get more and more comfortable. Right. Uh, and I think that's this year more than ever, I felt more comfortable aging Rams. And partly actually there was that, yeah, there was some great education tools, um, from wild sheep for sure i think i did look at the, the clay lancaster talk talking about aging rams using the crown method that was it that was a really great tool to add to my knowledge base around um you know aging sheep but ultimately it's just like you just got to see a lot of sheep and it's like 10 years worth of sheep for me has made me more comfortable and then and the more time you sit with sheep and look at sheep you get more comfortable so like i couldn't imagine getting to the place where i'm feeling that you know 90 95 to 98 to 99.99.9 to 100% like i i think that'd be really hard to get there in my early years of sheep hunting and i can get to 98 i can get to 9 you know 97 98 but i think at the end of the day there's a there's a gap there that you you kind of and i think what must be happening is people are getting thinking that they're looking at a legal ram they're not 100%, because if they were 100%, then it would be a legal ram, and it's not a legal ram. So something's driving them to make up that gap of 2 or 3 or 10% of certainty by pulling the trigger and hoping for the best. And I think that's a reality. And I know I, I, I've heard hunters relay that in different concepts, whether it's elk hunting particularly, because I think people see three points on the top, and they're like, it's got to be legal, bang. And then, thank God, it's got three more points which it typically does, but sometimes they don't always. And I've had, I've heard of uh, stories of where people walk up to a, what should be a six point bull elk and it's missing an eye guard and it's not. And I feel like there's a little bit of pressure to close that gap. And that's the part that I'm interested in is, is, is that something that's increased amongst the hunting community? And is that something that we can talk about more to have people acknowledge that, yeah, there's going to be risk here in, in, but closing that risk to zero as close to zero as possible. Do you reflect on that, Adam? Is that something that you've experienced yourself in your your hunting experience? <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny you talk about the counting points on a bull elk. That um, 
first bull elk I shot, um, I will never forget the, you know, the counting process. And then even after, after I'd counted, like you said, 10 times, decided to pull the trigger, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, to me, it was, it was my, my first time going up north and blah, blah, blah. And it was, I won't make a story out of it. Point being like, even after I had told myself I was sure there was, there was doubt, right? Like I just couldn't, you know, couldn't believe that it had, it had happened. Right. And so there's no question that, that, that's a big part of it. And, um, you know, I think on the, on the sheep side of things, um, there, I mean, I would love to know more about the actual circumstances around, you know, these, these 12 Rams, um, you know, what was the shot distance? What was the shot angle? Um, you know, what sort of, what sort of tools did they, did they have? Right. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus on this. I didn't own a phone scope or comparable type device until this year because Clay in that, um, podcast he did that we, we shared, which was originally through, uh, my friend Jay Nickel, um, who has a podcast called the Mindful Hunter. He literally said, you're an idiot if you don't, you know, take a phone scope and use it to take pictures and take video and like study it, zoom in, like use every tool available to you. And I didn't do that sort of stuff because I have this weird, annoying sort of, you know, whatever old school streak to me. Right. Um, but earlier at the outset, when I said I'm 99% of seeing those legal rams, legal on curl at least at three kilometers away, I'm sure there's somebody listening, maybe even you, Kyle, it's like, Adam, come on, 99% at 3k. But if I shared you the number of pictures and videos I took of those rams over many, 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 many hours, you probably feel a little bit more comfortable acknowledging 99%. But I couldn't have done that without those tools. And even, you know, ponying up on glass, like it, you hear it, you think, ah, nah, I don't really need it. But it matters. It really does. And I'm not trying to sling gear there, but you know, the, the tools, it's more about skill, I believe, but there are tools we can use to uh, help close that gap. And, and, you know, get those percentages closer and closer to where they need to be, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think I, I, I love that was like, that, that podcast was great. Actually, I really enjoyed it. I listened to it as well on my way down in preparation for this call with you guys is just to see what was out there. And uh, that also came up in the dialogue and the social media that we were doing around this. Um, so the, if we, if we don't figure this out, right, like there's obviously implications, right? If if we, if this goes like I, I see lots of implications around if you have you know what, what amounts to five or ten percent of your population is a legal harvest out of 200 it's just it's unacceptable right and and that's not something that we can we need to address it as a community and and obviously there's consequences and i and i think that those are pretty obvious some of the consequences if we're perceived to be well for one if we have a hunt that doesn't appear to be sustainable uh in the measures that we use to manage it I think there's also the implications of like a perception of that if there's a sort of drive for it to be, um, if there's ego driving these hunts and in pursuit of challenge and accomplishment, and that those are things that that I think become the target of folks outside of the hunting community looking at what we do, what we do as hunters as as and and latching to that and saying that's a really negative attribute of what we do and that that can really Cause, you know, I think that's, I mean, obviously Kyle, you guys have done a great job recently of sort of advocating for, um, you know, continued op opportunities for hunters and, and be awareness around, uh, folks trying to target the hunting community. 
Um, well, how vulnerable do you feel when when these types of stories come up as someone who spends their you know great deal of their time advocating for continued opportunities to hunt? Yeah, honestly, it's pretty demoralizing to be honest. Um, it's one of those things that you know we, we have direct control over. It's pretty simple, right? It's just you just don't pull the trigger. It's just that simple. And uh, I, I get it. It's tough. It's it's tough to judge sheep, it, and and it's not an easy thing to do. But at the end of the day, it's something we can control directly, and it does have a conservation effect down the road. And it's certainly a train wreck when it comes to the greater um, community. You know, like you said, we're trying to, you know. Uh, support this uh the conservation movement to make sure there's wildlife in the landscape and and what when this stuff happens when we have this uh, high harvest of young young rams it does have a conservation effect it, it's not something that you know is is not going to go unchecked and certainly if we do this every year it's not sustainable there's going to be closures there's going to be we, we don't know where it's going to go right so you know, there's so many people in our community that worked really hard day in and day out, volunteeringly, endless amounts of time, uh, money, and effort to make sure there's wildlife out there. And then, you know, decisions like these are—they're pre- it's pretty simple. Like if you if you will care about the resource, if you care about seeing wild sheep, just you'd never want to do something like that. And and it's something that it's one of the things I take almost more seriously than my safety when I'm in the backcountry. I would rather fall off the cliff than take a sheep illegally. I just can't imagine anything worse, to be honest. And it's pretty pretty sad when it's it's pretty straightforward. It, it's just, if if you're not 100% sure, then you shouldn't even be considering it. And it, it's pretty sad that we were to this point. So yeah, it, it affects me pretty deeply and it's something we have to take pretty seriously because it's going to have an effect for sure. Well, Adam, when I when I said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast and talk about this? You, you got back to me in 30 seconds. Says, I'll make time for this. So Where's your head at when you saw that art, that note come out or the, the post come out? Yeah, I mean, first off, honestly, it was like, should that, I mean, it obviously sucks, but it was, my first response was kind of questions, right? Like, what like what's the context here? Like, this is too much. There's no question. This is too much. This is, you know, a, a large uh, increase from, from what is typical. Um, but you put it really well, right, Dylan? Like, nobody willingly walks a ram into getting... And for the CI process, thinking that they're going to get it taken away, right? So, so there's, um, there's a lot at stake. I mean, I'll answer. The, I should answer that part of it. There's a lot at stake here, right? Are we going to lose opportunity? Um, are we going to lose more of the? I don't like to use the term, but I will because I think it applies here. The social license side of, um, you know, our ability to to hunt sheep. We know. I mean, Kyle may be worth talking about the Act Now campaign and why. That's that's something that you know WSSBC has been um so vocal about um but you know this this opportunity this privilege let's call it what it is this privilege is on the line and you know we're we're fighting we're already fighting to keep it and keep the opportunities that we have and these sort of things most obviously do not help it and are um in certain ways like inexcusable but there's there's an there's a side to this that I would really love to understand better. And, you know, th- where my head's at now is, and I have no idea if this is even remotely in the realm of possibility, but it almost feels like we need to do like a like a case study of this to understand how it happened. Like actually speak with the people and say, what, what, what were the decisions you made? What were the tools you had available to you? What were the, d- the decisions you made? What did your preparation look like? Because we can't fix this if we don't understand where the gap was right and and i think mm-hmm. 
we, we've got to, we got to figure out a way to do that because, you know, in my head, my initial reaction was, well, there is, you know, mistakes happen, but when in doubt, don't, don't pull the trigger. And there's so many resources available these days. Um, it's just not that, I mean, it's hard, like we said, but the more you learn about this, I think the more hesitant you would be to pull the trigger, right? So there's, there's, there's a, an education or a knowledge gap there, but potentially that, that can be closed. But I think we just need to understand the circumstances as well as we can. Cause if it keeps happening, like you said, Dylan, we're, we're going to lose a lot here. Yeah. In my yeah. opinion. Totally. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, as I, I think we're kind of coming to some conclusions here or, or, you know, really what I was hoping to where to land is like, what can we do? And I think we're you know, we've all touched on education is a big piece. And I mean, I think that there's some great tools out there and, and more than ever, there's great tools out there. It's just, you know, encouraging everybody to define them and, 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 uh, you know, and, and digest them and spend time with those, those resources. Um, but I think the other thing is just, is just talking about it. And I think that, you know, starting this conversation that we're having and, and hopefully others that, you know, it helps people understand how hard it is to age rams and the process that it takes and the need for mentorship that, that, you know, Kyle, you've talked about having the benefit of having a mentor sent next to you. And I, man, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at sheep going, I just wish I had somebody next to me that's looked at rams for 35 years. Like, man, I've ever feel like that so many times, like trying to figure it out. And so, I mean, those, those are all things. I mean, like, the, the other thing that I think we'll, we'll kind of end on this is like there is this social media push for accomplishment, right? To meet this challenge and have this like to, to have this accomplishment in your hunt, you know, as, as a hunter. And I think one thing that we need to continue to talk about, and I think Adam, that story of the, the guy coming out of the woods that just with a big smile on his face, like, you know, we, we got to, we got to continue continue to tell that story and, and create language and stories around the experience and the privilege of being able to go sheep hunting mm-hmm. and and what that brings without without a sheep it doesn't need this does not need to be an accomplishment to kill something the accomplishment is surviving for 10 or 12 days in the mountains <laughs> in british columbia and if yeah, you could do that you're, you're a sheep hunter you know right. like you don't need to kill anything like yeah. I have I know lots of sheep hunters that never killed a sheep, but now they're retired because they can't do it anymore. But mm-hmm. they were so happy that they were able to hunt sheep for 10 years. And the only advice they ever gave me is they say, start young because you're going to love it and you're only going to be able to do it until you're, I think, maybe 45 because I don't feel like I, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty beat up right now. <laughs> well, it's, and it's that, it's that Ortega quote, right? It's, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm going to get it wrong here. I don't hunt to have, killed i killed to have hunted i believe is is some nice. version of it right um and it's so true i mean like on on this most recent sheep on a mine as i said earlier i had you know a good real good buddy of mine first real full dedicated sheep hunt and the day we found those rams like i i wish i'd put like just set my iphone up and hit record because it was just constant commentary like holy like just he's losing his mind right? like he just thought it was the coolest thing ever and um oh it's for sure legal it's for sure you know like he's just like the the level of excitement was was incredible and i was excited like don't get me wrong i was very excited but just to like that part of the experience i mean he turned to me when we decided to to move to where we needed to move to make our play which ended up not panning out as i said earlier but um he turned to me and he's like man like i feel like 
feel like we've, we've achieved everything we needed to here. And he's like, I'm in for the long haul. Like, let's get this done. But if this is, if, if this was the last day, he's like, this has been the best hunt of my life. And you know, that's, um, you know, I think pretty meaningful, right? And like, don't get me wrong. Like, yes, we all want to cut a tag every once in a while, but, um, you know, there's, I think there's just, there's a lot more to this and there's a lot more at stake than just notching yeah. tags and, and, you know, posting picks and whatever else may be involved with it. Oh, let's just take the pressure off ourselves a little bit and just, just, man, we buy over the counter tags and go sheep hunting, man. Nowhere else in North America can you do that. Maybe Kyle, I'll leave it to you for some sort of final thoughts on this conversation and we'll wrap things up and, and then, uh, maybe have an offline chat after. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, the one thing I do think would, would be helpful for our community, and I see this in other jurisdictions, I see this in Oregon, uh, Arizona does it as well, is if you go in sheep hunting, uh, you get a sheep tag, You they they basically offer the sheep course where you come in and do some aging. And, uh, you know, I, I'd actually like to see our government put something in place where, uh, and they do this in Alaska as well for archery. If you want to get an archery tag, you come in um, and you, you have to take a training or you have to challenge a course and you have to shoot with a level of proficiency that is they're comfortable with. And you actually have to pass an exam. I think that's maybe taking it a bit too far with us, um, in BC here, but having some sort of, you know, and we see this problem and it's growing and it continues to be a pervasive problem is, um, you know, some level of education and just say before you, if you're, if it's your first time sheep hunting, you go out and you, you do this course and maybe it's an online course and maybe it's 30 minutes, but it gives you that level of comfort so that you can see the challenges you can see and, and kind of see the impact. Cause I think a lot of people in our community that go out sheep hunting the first time they're like, yeah, okay. I'm, I, sh- I shot a short sheep, big deal. They don't realize that there's consequences to that on a conservation, uh, uh, conservation level. And certainly when we have 12 rams, halfway through the season that, that has a significant impact that's going to, you know, um, affect that, those sheep populations. So I think, you know, I'd, I'd like to see that education piece. Um, we do offer a little bit of that. Um, I think we're getting better at it. Like I said, uh, Adam did a great job of sharing, uh, that information piece to the journalists here. I think we need more of that. I'd like to see it throughout the community, to be honest with you, that, you know, it doesn't have to be something that's overarching, but just something quick. Um, and, and so people can, get a little bit of education then also realize the consequences of, of what's happening when they don't, they don't shoot a mature animal. So it's my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. I was feeling really fortunate because we had our Ram CI while we were passing through Fort St. John and, um, the biology, the region seven biologist, Mike Bridger was, came down to the CI, um, uh, workshop and, uh, there was actually another biologist there. So we had the CI, who is an avid sheep hunter, sheep guide, and taxidermist, plus two biologists, and we were in a taxidermist uh, workshop. So there was like rams, like 360 degrees around us on the walls. So we just spent like two hours talking sheep and sheep aging. And like, I walked out of there, I was like, wow, that was like, man, I wish I had my camera running. That would have been the ultimate like eat wild, like you know, learn to hunt you know mm-hmm. webinar if I was just running that because it was just so much information there. And then like my level of comfort uh, with, with sheep aging just went, you know, was, went through the roof. But, but I do like what you're saying, Kyle, like, I think it's not just the education piece. It's about understanding the consequence, both for conservation, um, the impact that, you know, it, sub, you know, these, these are mature rams. These are breeding rams. These these six, seven year olds are, they're the key breeders in the group. And, um, and then also recognizing that, yeah, like Adam, as you said, like, this is a privilege. and, And if we don't get this right, then. We're going to lose our privilege to, to do this and, and hunt these animals, and it just doesn't reflect well in our community. So, 
Shit, Kyle, Adam, this has been fun, man. Nice to hang out with you guys. Yeah, me yeah, too. Likewise. Thanks, thanks, Dylan. Cool. Really okay, well, it, man. yeah, no, this is a good conversation. Thanks for doing this. And uh, okay, folks, well, we'll wrap it up here, and um, hope uh, catch you next time on the Well Podcast. Hey, folks, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a question, either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. They're tons of fun. Come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, Burst Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, eat well and wild. Well.